Happy Sunday. It's 43 degrees. Last week we had snow in April, which was insane. Absolutely ridiculous, but what can you do? Today's Parsha is Parsha's Kadoshim. And there is a very uh, critical posuk that says, Altifnu el ho'elilim, meaning other gods. Now, the Gemara in Shabbos actually comments on that and says as follows, Tonorabonon, we're talking about erasing names and what may come to erasing name on Shabbos. You can't write, it's a Moloch on Shabbos, and you can't erase. So what about looking at artwork? Will you do something with it if you pass it? So it says, someone who's passing a painting or an etching or some tzura, a picture or of a graven image. Also, you're not allowed to read the caption of the painting on Shabbos because you might end up, you're going to start with that, but you're going to end up reading secular documents and business transactions, and then that's going to lead to something else. So that's the reason. It's a it's a siog, it's a fence, it's a shvusterabonon. And then it says, Udiokna Atzma, regarding an idolatrous image itself, even on the weekday, uh, you shouldn't be staring at an idol. Because again, it might turn you on to, to idol worship. Why? Mishum Shinema, because in our Sedra. It says, Al-Tifnu el-Ha'elilim. Don't turn, and now the Gemara is taking it very literally, don't actually turn your head and stare at an idol. Okay. Now, Rabbi Hanin adds, Al-Tifanu el midatchen. That's an amazing drush. It's, again, it says, regarding the writing that is under a graven image, I'm not going to let you even on, never mind Shabbos, even on the weekday, I don't want you to stare at a at an image because it says, Al, Al, Tifnu, El, with a segol under the El, Ha'elilim, do not turn towards the Elilim. Rabbi Hanina puns, Al, Tifnu, not Al, Tifnu, don't turn, Al, Tifanu, do not push. Tifnu is to turn to Fanu is to push. Ail, not El, <laughs> Ail, God, Midatchem from your Das. Don't put God out of your mind, presumably by looking at these images. If you're looking at these images, you're putting God out of your mind. You should have God in your mind, not these images. Rabbi Hanin is very interesting. And the Daigle in Pasha's Kedoshim picks up. On this particular Rabbi Hanina Drush, Al-Tifnu Elho Elilim, don't turn towards idolatrous images, the Dorshu Chazal, and as we just learnt in uh, the Gemara in Shabbos 149a, Al-Tifnu El Midatrem, don't push God out of your das. Today I want to talk about what is meant by das, specifically in the Degel Machne Ephraim, uh, because our Rav keeps talking about Das. Yesterday in the Morinaim, as my colleagues, my learned colleagues present will attest to, everything is about Das. And we 
kind of dance back and forth. What does it mean? Remember, in Kabbalah, Das is the third Sefira. There's Chochmah, which is this flash of insight. Then Bina, which is the understanding of that insight. Lahovin Dova Mitoch Dova, to unwrap it, unpack it, expand it. And then there is Das, which it's called the hidden Sefira. Uh, in Kabbalah, it's Keter, Chochmah, Bina, and Das is behind them as a hiding sphere, although in Chabad it is Chochmah, Bina, and Das, Chabad. So I just want to share with you a meditation that I had struggling, and as uh, Alan and Jim will attest to, at the Malava Malka last night at 11 p.m., I still wasn't understanding this whole drush, so... Yesh Lahovin. So the Daigle starts off as he does. Yesh Lahovin, let's understand. Alpi Ma Sheoma Adoni Ovizakeni, what my grandfather, the Balshema Kodesh, said. In the Posuk in Kriyashma, he Shomrulachem, be careful, Pen Yiftelavavachem, that your hearts go astray, Vesartem, and you depart, turn, turn away, the Avadatim. Elohim Acherim, and you worship other gods. What's this Vesartem? There's this move. You should have said, What's this Vesartem? You move away from the course that you were on. And so my grandfather, the Baal Shem HaKadosh says, and those in recovery will understand exactly what this means. Kshesar HaAdam when a person's mind is sar, it's not focused on his connection with his higher power. He allows his mind to start to wander as an addict. Guess what happens? It's already over. He's already in the bar drinking. He's already on the porn sites. He's already gambling. Whatever it is, it didn't start the moment he touched that button with his finger or the moment he drank that's not the moment when sobriety stopped. Sobriety stopped the moment his mind went into a funk, meaning he stopped his conscious connection with the divine. That's what the Baal Shem is saying here. Vesartem, that extra word Vesartem means before you actually before you get to, to, to the idol worship place. Vesartem, you first had to turn away from your dvekas. So the moment you sar, sar adam, a person t moves away from dveikas machshapto, from connecting with his deep thought, it's already considered fallen. You're already on the way, means you're already like you're doing it. Okay. Of course, his, my grandfather's words, have depths that need yet to be plumbed. But let me, Bekitsur, and this is so Bekitsur that I may be open to misinterpret, misinterpreting it. Let me allow me to add my two cents. That's what he's saying. Why? If a person serves God, not just in shul, not when he's doing the dafyomi, not done when he's davening or learning, but in every aspect of his life, he brings in this God consciousness. He then fulfills this famous verse in Proverbs 3, 6. 
in all your ways you should be you should know him clearly we will be talking today about Mishle, which is wisdom literature that's not what the pshat meant okay but the the hasidic masters use that word doehu das know him in a much more intimate sense in everything you do in life doehu have that God consciousness. Very nice. Sheose hakol bedas. Now the now the now the now the eagle is is going down deep level. Sheose hakol bedas. It's not that you should make sure you understand him in all your ways. No, that everything that you have do has to be done bedas. Now, the Maury Naim says this all the time. Everyone says this. So what is Das? <laughs> what is Das? Kamo Achila, Ushtia, Ushena, when you're eating, when you're drinking, when you're sleeping, the Dibur of Imha'olam, and you're conversing with secular matters with the world. Or you're even trying, this is Rab Nachman, you're working on removing your depression. You're stuck in this funk. And you're trying to work in your depression and you're saying, I'm beyond help. Self-loathing. Even there, you have to bring das. Even there, in the blotter. <laughs> so if you bring this das consciousness to everything you do, big claim. In the rational, philosophical, Jewish, orthodox world, there's time for davening and learning, and there's time for secular studies and pursuits. And the two are separate. Here he's saying, no, no, we can't allow that. We're raising the stakes. This is a Hasidic Pauline revolution. Everything has to be done with the purity of the heart. Everything you do, even the secular stuff. And if you do it, Hakol naseh avoides hakodesh. Not our definition of kodesh in orthodoxy. Kodesh means separate boundaries. You go into shul, you have to behave a certain way because it's a mockum kodosh. Here he's saying, no, everything in the secular world will come under avoides hakodesh. It's part of your spiritual path of working your path in holiness. Okay. And now we come to the crux, which... Drove me insane this weekend. Now, my grandfather, this is what I learned in my grandfather. But the Magid came along, and the Magid is different to the Balshem. Magid is laden with Kabbalah. Magid started a whole academy with 200 students that spread Hasidus all over. The Balshem had very few students, and he never wrote. So whatever we get from him, we have to go through the Daigle. So we know what the Baal Shem Tov meant, what he said. Now let's listen to what the Magid. It's like, you know, the difference between pre-Baroque and Baroque music. The Magid is the Baroque interpretation of Hasidus. And he brings a posuk from Mishle. Kol arum yase badas. So here's that word das again. And now Solomon is saying in Proverbs, every prudent man deals with forethought. Uksil, but a fool, Yifrosivelas, he uncovers his folly. A typical wisdom statement, wisdom literature. But now let's unpack Kol Arum. What is this word Arum? And for that, we go to my, my teacher, 
your teacher, our teacher, the Jastro, and look at what he says about our room. Now, remember, Jastro is looking at rabbinic literature, but I looked into a concordance. It's used elsewhere in uh, Mishle, in fact, a posuk before, but let's look at what he says here. In the posuk in uh, the chapter before says, Odom orum kosedas, a clever man conceals what he knows, Veleif kasilim yikro eveles, but the mind of a dullard cries out folly. So again, we think that, you know, the, the, the prudent man is Orum and the Ksil is the fool. Same thing in Mishle. Now look what he says, Orum. Gemara in Brachus, Laolim Yehei Adam. Orum beyira, a person should be deliberate in the fear of God. Rasha Orum, a wicked man who is subtle. Oh, that's an interesting word, subtle. Wonder what that could mean. Arumim, those men who are clever in knowledge, and yet conduct themselves humbly. So all this is very positive. Now, I asked my cousin, Meir Barilan, well, how does he understand the word Orem? Because he knows modern Hebrew. So he says, all the Mephorashim on that posuk in uh, Mishle, look at that word Orem as positive, smart, clever, wise, talented in biblical Hebrew. But in later rabbinic Hebrew, the word has an abstract noun, orma, which has a different meaning. In modern Hebrew, orma always has a negative meaning. Orma means a crook, a scoundrel, a politician who has, you have a positive admiration for a politician because he's so talented, but there's still something orma, there's something negative about him. So he tells me, remember Dickens, protagonist, Fagin, right? In the first edition, Fagin is a Jew. He's Arum. He's a survivalist. He uses his cunning. So what I want to suggest is we go back to the very first time that we use the word Arum in Beratius, Genesis 3.1. The person who completely disrupted the idyllic Garden of Eden was the snake. Wow. Now that can't mean talented. That orum has to do with subtlety, cleverness, trickery. He's orum. He's too clever by a half. Okay. I hope I have shown you that the word Aurum has duplicitous meanings the way the word Aurum is meant to mean. The word itself is cunning. The word itself could go both ways. And now comes along the Magid and says, Moreno Ravdov there, call Aurum Yasebadas. How does the Magid take that posuk? Every prudent man deals with forethought, but a fool unfolds folly. How does he look at that word, Orum? Because that word will absolutely define for us the word Das. It depends on what Orum means. Whoever is Orum employs Das. Now we know the Ksil employs Ivales. So we know already from the second half of the biblical parallelism that the fool unfolds his folly. Okay, that doesn't really help us. But the prudent man, if it's prudence, then he uses das. Well, what is prudence? 
And now he's going to tell us that something that knocked me off my feet. He says, Hainu, what does Das mean? Is it clever? Has it just something to do with nakedness? But Hanochosh was naked. Arum, is it subtle? Is it too clever? Hainu afilu asius gashmius. He says that the Arum, the clever guy, he uses Das in different situations. Afilu asius gashmius. Now that's what the Daigle said. The Daigle says that when I'm doing my gashmius, which is nothing to do with Ruchnius, I have to bring Das to it. So why is the Magid adding the word Orum and bringing this Posuk? Uh, I mean, you could have just said that. That's what the Baal Shem Sof said. That's what the Daigle said. What are you bringing this for? Because of what he now says. Fasten your seatbelts. Hainu afilu asius gashmius. Okay, we know that. He does gashmius. Viafilu orma she'osehakol hu bedas kono. And even with orma, the way my cousin said, even with guile, cleverness, trickery, you have to employ that in Bedas Kono. Know your God. Right? Altifnu el midatchem. Meaning, don't take God away from your Das, from the Das of your Creator. So an Ormar, you have to, now, it's not the Orm Orum. He took the noun, the wise man, the clever man. He goes, no, no. Why is he wise or clever? Why is he orm, orum? Because he employs orma. He employs the adjective that makes him orum. And what is that? Cunning. Like the nochosh. The nochosh is cunning. He's bringing cunningness to what? kono. He brings cunningness into his appreciation of the divine, into his relationship with the divine. What on earth is he talking about? And then he tells us, he slips in the bomb and says, Kamo Avigail. What? Avigail? Who's Avigail? Oh, Avigail. Now, to understand what armor he's talking about, we have to go to Avigail. And Avigail, we're told, is in one chapter of Samuel, chapter 25. And the principal characters in this chapter that is surrounded by David's being just a hunter-gatherer to becoming a, in charge of a, a roving band of bandits like Robin Hood to then take over from King Shaul, this chapter is in between. It separates the two, like Henry IV and Henry V. I said, right, and Falstaff. Henry the Fourth, he's just going around the ta taverns of London with Falstaff. Henry the Fifth, now he has to become the King of England. He has to transform. This transformation is occurring right here in chapter 25 of Samuel. And who are the characters? Ah, uh, there was a man by the name of Naval. He was a wealthy landowner. But omen est nomen. The name reflects the character. Naval, he was a novel, he was a drunk, he was a let's, he was a no-gooder, according to Samuel. But he was a landowner, and David had sent him a band of ten men to ask him for money. So this novel refuses. And now David gets very upset, and he's going to attack him. Remember, David is the ruffian, 
David is the Robin Hood, and he's planning to attack. And on the way, he meets Abigail. And Abigail, when she comes home from her meeting with David, I'll come back to the meeting, Naval is having a party and a fest for the king, King Shaul. He's a monarchist. The party bespeaks of a man who's kindly and generous towards his household and his slaves, and he's a drunk, and he's celebrating the end of the season, and he's treating his people well. The next morning, he has a hangover, and Abigail tells Nabal about her meeting with David and her giving him gifts. And the text says, he became like a stone. The only time else that stone is used is with David and Goliath. One can imagine his reaction that she met this, this Robin Hood, this Oisvarf, this Letz, and gives him gifts? Are you crazy? She, he's, he reacts with shock and anger. He has the sudden realization that his honor and trust have been broken and that his wife has betrayed him. And the question else is, what else has she betrayed him? Is she the Marion of Robin Hood? He can't count on her to do what is right, and he can't count on her to honor her commitments to him. She not only betrayed him, she told him and everyone else how she felt about her husband by her actions. And Abigail is given an, a reward to David for not attacking Naval. And as a punishment for the novel's crime of not paying David his protection money, God strikes him dead. And the death itself results three weeks later in her marrying David. And what happened, what happened during her encounter with David Amelach that allows the Maggid to say that she employed our Orma? She was clever, cunning. What? So... She's described as beautiful intelligence in verse 3. Shame ha ish naval, shame ishto abigail. Vaha isha tova seichel. She's tova seichel, the yefas toya. She's gorgeous and she's clever. Vaha ish kashe baramalalim believer. And he was just an oyster. So according to Samuel, he was a nobody, he was a nothing, he's a lowlife, but he was a landowner. And she was beautiful and intelligent. And the Gemara, it's very interesting, the Gemara in Megillah talks about her in glowing terms. Glowing terms. And she's one of the eight Jewish prophetesses. She prophesied something about David. So she gets a very good rap in rabbinical literature. She's also, as I said, tova seichel, wise. And David blesses her at the end with prudence. Now, we hear from her in the center of chapter 25, verse 14 to 17, where the servant informs her that David is on his way to attack her husband. And she quickly puts together 200 loaves, just baked and lying around, I think not, two bottles of wine, five sheep readily dressed, and five measures of parched corn. And she did not tell her husband. Says it in verse 19. She chose to hide her gifts to David Amelech from her husband. There's a deception that causes us to raise our eyebrows as the readers. Where is her honor, integrity, ethics? The decision to support 
David as this band of roving scoundrels is a turning point in Abigail's life. She knew that David was making extortion threats against Naval. Instead of standing loyally next to her husband, she gives aid and comfort and supports the illegal and immoral activities of the outlaw. She sold out and chose the easier way rather than rising to the occasion, standing with her husband and refusing to be intimidated. Now, as she rides off behind the provisions to meet David, how did she feel? And when they meet in verse 24 to 31, she is sympathetic to his situation. She treats David as an honorable man. Naval is there to serve David's needs. When, she, what, when, she, when he doesn't, he is considered mean and harsh. She speaks derogatorily towards her husband. She tells David that Naval is exactly what his name means. And she goes on to tell David she hopes that all of David's enemies fare terribly like Naval. And tells him that he's fighting the battles of the Lord, which transforms in the Gomorrah to her prophesying that. And she makes a detailed and powerful argument mixed with good salesmanship. And her closing remark to David Amelech is to remember her. So I am suspicious that she has some ulterior motives. Remember me. And David accepts her argument and doesn't attack Naval. And she returns safely from her meeting and has saved Naval from his attack and then tells him about it. And he dies. Now, I, I, want, to, I want to say, just from a psychological perspective, that a person is judged by his actions. And I, I think that that is true. We are judged by what we do and who we are. And as adults, we make deliberate decisions and choices in our actions. So our actions describe our inner selves. What sacrifices are we willing to make? What evil are we willing to perpetrate or tolerate? Our actions are the blueprints of our character. And when we look at Abigail's actions, she ain't no heroine. She employs Orma. She employs deceit, cunningness. She's wily. And in many ways, if I look at the character of David and Abigail, there are similarities. Both are intelligent and attractive. Both are masters of diplomacy. Both are leaders. Both are charismatic. Both were good communicators and salesmen. Both were looking out for themselves. They knew who had the power and how to advance oneself. Both were manipulative. They knew how to play the situation to their advantage. Both were good at feigning victimhood. Remember, David blames everybody, right? Nab, Shaul, his enemies, everybody except himself for whatever happened to him bad. And both were deceptive and betrayed the trust of others. So the bottom line is that their behavior betrayed who they were. And I think we have to go behind the Gomorrah's valoration of Abigail as this wonderful prophetess to get back to the character that the Maggid is trying to tell us something about Avodah Hashem. Their behavior tells us who truly they were. And actions speak louder than words. It is the obligation to others, the integrity of our beliefs and our actions, our regard for our agreements, our pledges, 
my word as a bond, our honesty, our conformity to right and good, our fairness, our inability to be readily influenced away from those character traits by the seduction of exciting momentary gain that others come to come to, to be comfortable and secure with us and therefore love us. And this is the true measure of a mensch, of a person. It's what we call Ehrlichkeit. It's called Ehrlichkeit. Sometimes in Chicago, you have to go to the craziest people to find it. It's hidden. As Alan will tell you on our weekly Shabbos walkabout, we go looking for Ehrlichkeit because it really influences us. So now let's go back to the market and understand the word Orma. Yeah, the Baal Shem Atov said you have to bring Das. You have to bring Das. Afilu Orma. And the Magid adds, even cunningness. Bring Das Kono. You have to bring cunningness to understand Das Kono. Kamo Avigail. The way Avigail was cunning in her manipulation of the situation. In a lousy marriage, unloving husband, a boor. And she is Seichel Tov. And falls in love with David and becomes his wife three weeks after her widowhood. Uksil Yifrosh, and then he ends the Posuk, and a fool. What does he do? He oyster devar precious of Kedusha. He, even if he's doing devar precious of Kedusha, I mean, this is crazy. He's sitting and learning and steiging and he's doing dafyomi and he's shockling and his tits are hanging out. But if he hasn't brought that das, that cunningness to understand the Rabboni Shalom, it's all folly. Oh my God. If this wouldn't be written, I couldn't have said it. Even though it's mitzvah and a chokhmah. And then he quotes something from a Gemara, and I'll end up with that. A Gemara in Nausea. He brings a Gemara in Nausea. Two people are eating their carbon pesa. And of course, he assumes you know the Gemara in Nausea by heart. Let me re read it to you. Because it pits the two. On the one hand, you have to bring aroma badas. As opposed to, and even if it's employing cunningness, and it's in your secular life. As opposed to a seal, a fool, who's a holy fool. And he's shockling and he's doing everything, but he doesn't bring that das to it. It's like two people bringing a carbon Pesach. Nausea 23. Amar Rabba Baba Chana, Amar Rabbi Yochan. Ma'idich ziv ki yesharim darche Hashem v'tzadikim yechu bo poshim yikor. What does it mean that the upright walk in the paths of God and the tzadikim go there and the sinners are in that same path yikoshlu, they stumble? Moshol. I'm going to give you an example of that. Two men are in their group roasting their carbon pesach. The first one is saying, I'm doing l'shem yichud kutsu brichu I'm doing it for the sake of the mitzvah. The other one is just hungry. He wants to fill his belly. The one who's eating at l'shem mitzvah that's what the Pasuk means. Tzadikim yelchubom. The Tzadikim will walk in that path. Why? 
because he's a tzaddik. Why? Because he's doing this gashmius thing for l'shem mitzvah. Now look what the Magid does. He completely twists that around. He says, they say it in the orthodox way. You're a tzaddik because you ate the common Pesach l'shmo. You're a rasha. You're eating it l'shem, filling your belly. You're, not, you're going to get a stomachache. That's the way Rabbi Babachon meant in the Gemara. But he says that Orum Yase Badas, Afilu Orma Sheosa Kol Badas, Kamo Avigail. That's the way an Orum does it. A clever person employs Orma, cleverness, Kamo Avigail. Uksil Yefrosh, and the Frumi who's davening but doesn't bring Das is like the second guy in the Korban Pesach, the one who's just eating. It's just like he's eating the Bechilas Gasa. He conflates those two. He could be the best tzaddik, I'm l'shem yichud and do, but I'm not bringing das to it. I'm like the ksil who's just eating it to fill his belly. So then the Degel ends. And so in this Torah, I wanted to give light to the notion of what I mean by das. What does it mean? It means that you're bringing a rumor, orma, when it comes to knowing the divine, the das kono. And on the other hand, you might have thought that being working in the ways of Hashem and learning and steiging and being from, that makes you a tzaddik? No. If you don't bring das to that, you're like an evel, evelet, like folly. Now he comes back to our posuk in Pasha's Kedoshim. Don't turn towards idols. And now he spins it new. The Darshu Chazal, the Gemara in Shabbos, had said, 149, Don't take God out of your consciousness. That's what the Gemara meant. Always have him in mind. Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Tomit, the very first Sif in Shulchan Aruch. How does the, the Degel end? Altifnu perush eil midatchem. No, don't take God out of your mind the other way. Hainu midas lo tifrashu atzmen min ha'el. Oh my God. That means when it comes to das, don't not employ das when it comes to God. Anytime we talk about God, you must employ Das. And I just explained to you what Das means. Altifnu el elilim, altifnu el midatchem. Don't turn away from God without employing datchem, your Das, meaning your character, the way you establish your character, your behavior, the acts that you'll do, your elichkeit, your character. And that sometimes requires us to employ cunningness, deviousness, all those machinations that Abigail used. Kamo Abigail, <laughs> who would have thunk? We must employ those in our Avodah Hashem, in our spiritual path, because we've got to stay one step ahead of that Yetzirah, of that addict within. We have to employ that. Kol Arum Yasebadas. Every wise man uses das with what? Orum. What makes him an orum, a wise man? His orma, his cunningness. The fixing of the nochosh's cunningness at that time in history, who was an orum mikol, 
Chayasotov, from everything, even Odom and Chava, the fixing of that is to employ that very same archetype in our Avodah Hashem. I hope this tries to get a little bit closer to uh, what that enigmatic and hidden sphere uh, of Das is. Thank you.